Good morning, Impact City. Good morning. I want you to turn to someone next to you or around you and just wave at them, high-five them, fist-pump them. Just tell them it's good to see you this morning. Thank you, worship team. It's good to see you. We are so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Mark, chapter 4. It's in the YouVersion app, Mark 4, 35 through 39. Out of the New Living Translation, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats did follow. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was great calm. How many know we serve a God that, can, in one instance, can bring great calm to our lives? We serve a God that, in one instance, in one moment, can bring great calm to our lives. Please be seated. I want to speak to you this morning about readjusting your scene, readjusting the scene. There's oftentimes things in life that we have to readjust. We, we adjust, we readjust a rearview mirror. Uh, if your spouse was driving, sometimes that is significant, sometimes it's not. There's oftentimes where we have to stop and look at things and say, is this going the best that it could possibly could, or is there something that I could do different? Is there something that I could do different? Over the last few weeks, we've gone through a journey about habits. We've talked about little things that can produce monumental change. And how, and while God is all-sovereign, He is all-powerful, and He is in control of it all, there are things that you and I can do. We have a will. We have a will um, that we can activate some things in our life, or we could hold back on some things in our life. Uh, there are things that, like such as doubt, that could hinder God. Uh, that could hinder God because uh, that there is because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of not seen, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. We have to be people of faith. So, want to dive deeper a little bit this morning and, and begin with this. So, let's look at this. Playing it safe is risky. Playing it safe is risky, but the greatest risk, I would dare to say, is taking no risks. Taking no risk. Because one, it maintains the status quo, and two, it leads to something called inaction regrets. At the end of our lives, a study showed that 84% of our regrets will be things we would have done, we could have done, and we should have done. 84% of our regrets will be things that we coulda, shoulda, woulda, but did not do. It's not the mistakes that, it's not the mistakes we made, as painful as those are, but it's the opportunities that we often 
miss. If you could just think of that for just a few seconds, what opportunities have we missed to share the love of God with someone in a situation? What opportunities have we missed to be able to share what God has done in our lives, our story? It's the opportunities that go without us seizing them. Yes, we will experience a few fails. Yes, there's going to be difficult times. But one way or the other, there comes a moment, there comes a crossroads that you and I have to make a step or a huge step, a huge leap of faith. There comes some times where we just have to say, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try this out. I'm going to believe God. So it can be one of two things. It could be a creative act, like the one way that missionaries back in the days used to pack all their belongings in a coffin instead of a suitcase because for them it was, they knew they weren't going to come back. It was a point of no return. Or like in 1519 when Captain Hernán Cortés they landed in Veracruz, and it's a very popular story that you may have heard that when they arrived there, he reportedly gave a, a, a command to his men for them to burn the ships because it was, there was no second option. It was they were going to go big or they were going to go home. It was one of two things. There was no backup plan. There was no plan B. Or it could be the kind of act that is so big that it is a defining decision that's, that is often referred to as a calculated risk or a selfless sacrifice that doubles as a defining moment in your life. When it comes to goal setting, when it comes to problem solving, when it comes to creating healthy habits and habits that produce fruit in our lives, huge acts, huge gestures can be either a small step or they can be a giant leap of faith. Where you are, only you know this morning, but they are the point of no return. And we see this, it's a constant theme in the Bible that from Genesis all the way to Revelations, the Bible is full of these particular acts. Noah builds a really big boat that we know as the ark that we may need today. Abraham puts Isaac on the altar, the Israelites circle Jericho for seven days. Who would have thought that just circling and at the end when they would shout that that one act, that those acts would produce walls to fall down. It is unheard of. But those walls didn't fall down because the Israelites circled. The, it, the walls fell down because God did it. And they simply acted in faith. There is a move that is, the next move is your move, that God is waiting on for, uh, for him to do something great in our lives. Benaiah, the Bible tells us, he chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and he killed it. Esther, Queen Esther, went on a three-day fast. Elisha, when he sees Elijah, he burns the plows. 
He burns everything that he was accustomed to. He burns his livelihood. Everything that, that was producing for him, he burns it. And he says, I have a, there's a calling on my life that I have to follow. In other words, I'm going to go and I'm going to chase after this. And I'm not going to have this on the back of my mind. Well, if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I'm always going to come back. He burned the plow. Can you imagine what that looked like? Ezekiel laid on his left side for three 390 days, James and John, after fishing, after, after experiencing just frustration, Jesus says, cast the nets again, even though they, that they have already experienced that. When they listen to the master, they cast their nets, and their nets are full. Peter gets out of the boat off of one word that the master speaks. Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree and catches the master's attention and says, and Jesus tells him, Zacchaeus, come down from there because I need to be in your house today. It was one act. All it took was him climbing up a tree, but that one simple act produced a change in his life that this man who was a crook all of a sudden has his life turned around because of the act that produced an encounter with Jesus that turned his life upside down. The Ephesians built a bonfire and they burned their scrolls and all these defining moments are tipping points are just one act on their behalf that changed the course of history. It was their move that set, it was their faith that set the action in motion. These are huge steps in, in the Bible that, that define who they are. And what is the step in your life and in my life that can define a, a moment for us? Each one of them looks different. Each one of them had different details. Each one of them entailed different acts and different steps, but they all took a step. It was a huge moment for them. And for others, the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of change. For others, the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of change. Don't let that be our story this morning. One way or the other, there comes a moment where we just have to say, God, I'm going to believe you. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you wholeheartedly. I'm not going to have a plan B. I'm not going to have a contingency plan. No, I'm going to believe that your promises are yes and your promises are amen. There comes a moment where you and I have to take a step and just say, God, I'm going to trust you with everything. What would have happened if Noah wouldn't have taken that step and built the ark? He built it before the rain came. What would have happened if the Israelites would have never circled around Jericho? Those walls may have still, may still be up. What would have happened if Esther would not have gone on a three-day fast and, and intervened and stood in the gap for her people? What would have happened? What would have happened if the Ephesians wouldn't have burned their scrolls? What would have happened if James and John wouldn't have dropped their net? What would have happened? They're, they're questions that would always resonate and would always be asked but because they took a step, because they took a step of faith, their story ended differently. I don't want to reach the end of my life saying, what would have happened if I would have prayed more? What would have happened if I would have had a deeper passion for God and a deeper passion for ministry and a deeper passion for service? What would have happened if instead of investing an hour 
of my time a week in devotional? What would have happened if I would have spent two hours? I don't want to reach the end of my life saying, what would have happened? I wish I could have done things different. There comes a moment where we have to chase after God with all our passion. There comes a time where we have to chase after our calling with all our passion. There, has, there comes a time where we have to chase the purpose that he has called us to this earth to, to declare his mighty works with all that we have and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pray more than I've ever prayed. I'm going to come to your house more than I've ever come. I'm going to worship more with more fervor than I've ever worshiped. I'm going to praise you like it is the last day that I have here on this earth. I'm going to give you the praise. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my life, when, I, when it all is said and done, that I have invested everything I have in you. What would have happened? But they believed God and they took that step. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, the Bible says, When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So let me give you a little bit of context. We've talked about this a few months back. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long. It is eight miles wide. And they say they set out when the sun uh, is going down. And this is important because it is, I would dare to say, from my personal uh, opinion, that it is, I'm more fearful to be out on the ocean at night than I am during the day. It, there's just something about not being able to see so far versus the, the daylight when you're able to see and you're able to know your surroundings. The sun has gone down, so they, they cannot see very far. Their proximity, their vision is limited. So this leads us to a very important point. The Bible says in verse 36 that they left the crowd behind. They left the crowd behind. Sometimes it's important that, that you and I leave the crowd behind. Sometimes it's important that you and I leave some things behind. So let me dive deeper into this just for just a few moments. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Almost all of us in this place are suffering from information overload. We are bombarded with news. We are bombarded with stories. We're bombarded with fake news every minute of every hour of every day. We have online advertisers that are vying for our attention. The other day we were sitting around, my mother-in-law had her phone out, and we started talking about this particular brand of shoes. And all of a sudden there's an advertisement that comes up from that particular phone. She had not searched it. There's people that are vying for our attention. I know that's happened to you. That's why some of you are smiling this morning. We, we've got social media algorithms that are targeting us based on our follow and our search history. Because you looked for this, now all of a sudden you get emails about this. You're looking for a new car. You're looking for whatever that may be. And I'm not sure that we were designed with the capacity to know everything about everything all the, all the time. I'm certainly not suggesting that we bury our heads in the sand and that we live oblivious to what is taking place in our world. But how do you leave the crowd behind when there is so much information out there that is vying for our attention? Let me give you some statistics. For starters, the average person, you may not be average, but the average person spends 142 minutes a day on social media. How much time do we spend in prayer? That represents 15% of our hours that we are awake. Is that how I want to spend 15% 
of my life on social media? When was the last time that you took a day off, that you turned your phone off, that you just left the crowd behind and said, God, I'm going to dedicate this day to you. I'm going to dedicate this time to you. It may, it may be an hour or two that you start off with, but it is a step towards that. Just to turn all the noise down. Just to say, you know what, I'm going to have some quiet time. I'm not going to get caught up in everything that is taking place. That is one way that we can tune the world out and be able to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to speak to us, that wants to speak to us, that wants to communicate with us. But are we leaving the obstacles? Are we leaving the barriers? Are we putting all of that aside and saying, God, I'm just going to focus on you? We have to make sure that that voice of His Spirit is the loudest voice that we are hearing, especially in the times that we're living in. And what about the people that want to speak? So leaving that crowd behind, but what about the people that want to speak ill into our lives? What about the people that want to speak negatively into the lives that you and I live? The Bible says in Psalms 1, it's a teaching David writes, it's a teaching of to be blessed. If you're going to be blessed, we have to pay attention to who speaks into our lives. The psalmist gives us the requirements. He says, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked. Who is speaking into our lives? Is it aligning with what God's word says? Is it aligning with what God has declared over our lives? We see a picture of this in Acts chapter 27 where this is portrayed. The Bible says that Paul is, is living this. And so let me break down what is taking place in Acts 27 for you. The Bible says that the storm has hit this ship. And all of a sudden they are, they are in a situation where the ship is falling apart. It is falling apart. And although the ship does not survive, Paul does. And the Bible says that they embraced the pieces of what was left of that boat, of that ship, and they made it to shore. It, it, all, they, all they needed was just a few pieces to make it to where they needed to be. And maybe that's how you feel this morning, that life, a storm of life has just come and knocked and has torn apart the ship. That, that you have felt, and you ha all you have is just a piece of this, a piece of that relationship, a piece of faith, a piece of hope, a piece of joy, but that's all you, sometimes that's all we need to be able to get to, to the next destination. The Bible says that he, he took those fragments, he took those pieces, and he arrived to this island, and, and the storm had stopped, it's, but yet it's still raining, it's cold, he's tired, and he reaches there, but he is a survivor. I'm glad for the survivors in this house today. Amen. I'm glad for the survivors. I'm glad for, for God allowing us to reach this point. I'm glad for his faithfulness, and I'm glad for his goodness. I'm glad that he can sustain us when we can't sustain ourselves. Some of us here today, we've arrived to this moment with just a little bit of hope. We've arrived with just a little bit of faith. We've arrived with just a bit of praise, but we have made it to this moment. Paul made it. Paul made it, and, and the Bible tells us that the natives there, they begin to, they, they start a fire, they lit a fire, 
And, and it was the character of Paul. He had a conquering spirit that he, he begins to help to, to be able to produce this fire in him. He was not just going to play the victim, but he was actually going to do something about it. And, and the Bible says that when he is over the fire, that a viper, a snake, comes and latches on to him. And, and all of a sudden, now he is in this predicament. So it's one thing to survive a storm. It's one thing to barely make it with just a little bit, then to get to this place. And then all of a sudden, something else happens. Have you ever felt like that, that before you could even recover from this, here comes another thing, and you haven't even, and you tell yourself, man, I can't even catch a break. What, what is taking place? Paul can't catch a break that when the fire is taking place, the viper is fleeing this heat. It latches on to him, and the people of that island look at Paul, and they say, certainly this man is a murderer. I'm sure he's killed some people. And they thought that, that, that the, the viper was latching on to him simply because of the life that he did have. And while he was a murderer when he was Saul of Tarsus, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And not only changed his life, but changed his identity. He's no longer Saul of Tarsus. He's Paul now. And I'm glad that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that some things just do happen. It was it was not because he was a murderer. It was not because he was doing anything wrong. It just happened. And they're accusing him of being something that he no longer is. And he has a decision to make. He has a decision to make. Am I going to listen to the voice that is telling me, that is reminding me of my past? Am I going to listen to the voice that is telling me who I used to be? Or am I going to believe who God has called me to be now? The Bible says that immediately he begins to shake the viper. He, he does not listen to the voice that is speaking to him, the counsel of the wicked, the, the crowds that we have to leave behind. He does not listen to who is talking into him saying, this is happening because you're a murderer. No, no, no. He begins to shake. He begins to shake that which had latched onto him, this viper, this snake, into the fire. He begins to shake it off. And the story ends, he, the, the viper immediately comes it comes off of him after he shakes it. And some of us here in this place need to shake off some things that have tried to latch on to us. Some of us in this place need to shake off some anxiety and shake off some depression and shake off some guilt and shake off some shame and shake off some things that are trying to bring us down and trying to connect us to our past. I'm not who I used to be. I am a new creature in Christ. I, I have to shake off whatever is trying trying to hold me back. I, I have to shake off whatever is trying to bring me down. Some of us in this place, you just have to shake it off just a little bit. And when the viper came off, they just stood there and they, they were waiting to see what was going to happen. They, they were waiting to see, is this man going to die? And some people stand around us at times just waiting, waiting to see your response and waiting to see my response. What's going to happen to him? What's going to, well, just keep on waiting because I will survive. I will survive. Paul survived because he did not let the voices. It was a pivotal moment. It was a crucial moment for him not to let who was speaking into him, into his life. We have to leave the crowds behind. The Bible says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him 
along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him, but soon a furious storm came up and the wave broke over the boats so that it was nearly swamped. So I've told you that it is 18, 18 feet, that it is, that how big it is. So now understand this, that it is 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by hills and mountains, makes it very susceptible to storms in that area. The Golden Heights, which were called the Decapolis in Jesus' day, is 2,500 feet above the sea level. So this geography, all that to say is it just makes it, it's, it's, a, it's a place for a perfect storm. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, in the middle of all this, is he is in the stern. He is in the bottom of the boat, and he is sleeping on a cushion. He is sleeping on a cushion. He unplugs. He takes some time off. He leaves the crowd behind, and he is sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples come. They call him. There's sometimes that we just have to call on him. We, we know what the scriptures say, that, that we can call on him, and he will answer. We have to know that, he, that there is a name that is more powerful than, than any other name, that he was given a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall come that Jesus is Lord. There is no other name given unto man under heaven whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. There is one name that has all the power, all the authority, all the, all the dominion in all this world. You have a name, I have a name, but it doesn't compare to the name that is above every other name. You can mention names and people will turn heads. You can mention names and people know they're people of influence. They're people of of power, they're people of prestige, but there is no comparison to the name of Jesus. Oh, how precious is that name. I can call him. I can call him. It's just a matter of saying Jesus. They call him and they say, teacher, don't you care that we drown? I find this interesting because they jump to their conclusion based on their situation. Whoever said that Jesus didn't care? Whoever told, when did Jesus declare that? They arrived to their own conclusion based on the evidence that they had. Jesus is sleeping, so apparently it must mean that he doesn't care, evidently. Who said he didn't care? How many times have we made assumptions about God based on our circumstances and our situations? How many times have we made assumptions and jumped to conclusions and say, God, well, I guess you really don't care because if you cared, I wouldn't be facing what I'm facing this moment. We are quick to assign blame and we're quick to shift the focus and say, God, you must not care about me because if you cared, I wouldn't be here. That's what happened in John chapter 11. Martha went up to Jesus and said, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. They're shifting the blame. They're assigning the blame automatically they're 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 jumping to this conclusion we are quick to attribute the wrong motives and we're quick to play the blame game in stressful situations it's our natural tendency to look and to see who else we can blame for this well it's that person's fault it's that per that's what the disciples do don't you care they jump to this conclusion. Don't you care? In case you haven't noticed, if you change the news channels, everyone is blaming everyone else for everything that is happening. We, what, you're, what you are saying, what you're saying in the form of a question, is it a regurgitation of what we're seeing online and what we're hearing on the news, or is it a regurgitation of what God's Word says? 
What are we declaring? Verse 39. Then Jesus got up and grabbed an oar. No. Then Jesus got up and started getting away from the boat. No. What did Jesus do? Then Jesus got up. He rebuked the winds. And he said to the waves, peace be still. The wind died down. And it was completely calm. Jesus stands up. And I truly believe that it was in a very calm manner and rebukes the wind. Why? Because he has, or he has all the authority to do so. Three words. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Three words. Peace, be still. And it changed the circumstance. It changed the situation. And while he has all the power to make it work and to make it good, are you making your move? Are you making your move? Because in light of everything that is happening in this world that we live in, in light of everything that is happening in our culture, this is a moment where God's people need to exercise the spiritual authority that we have been given as his children in a spirit of humility and rebuke the wind and the waves that is tossing this world upside down. There is a, this is a moment for us that have been called to stand in the gap as peacemakers, not as haters, not stirring up issues, but as peacemakers, as grace givers, and as tone setters. This is a moment for us to defeat the enemy. Amen? This is a moment for us to defeat the enemy. How? By putting on what, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God, because we understand that our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the demolishing of strongholds, casting down every thought and every imagination and everything that rises up against God. We don't fight fire with fire, but we shift the atmosphere by operating in the opposite spirit that this world is operating in. We rebuke hate with love. We rebuke pride with humility. We rebuke cursing with blessing. We rebuke lies with truth. We rebuke injustice with righteousness. We, as children of God, have the authority to be able to move these mountains uh, that are shaking our world. We under, but oftentimes we underestimate our authority as children of God because we fail to understand our identity in Him. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Obviously, it has to be the will of God, but we, can, we have the authority to be able to loose some things and to loose peace and to loose grace and to loose. We have the authority to bind hate and we have the authority to bind pride in Jesus' name. But it's our move at times. It lies on us when we're in the store, when we're in the workplace. What are we doing? It can be a monumental act like Noah building the ark. Or it's like Abraham moving from Haran to Shechem, even though he didn't know where he was going. It's like that little boy who gave everything that he had to eat to Jesus on that day. He believed in faith and he knew who he was giving it to. It was in the hands of the master. But then there is... 
that enough is enough. Where we have been beaten and battered and we're saying, we say this is enough. It's the point of no return and it's the point where we have to do something. It, it's what caused David on that day to, to fight Goliath. And that while Goliath was up and while he was terrorizing the people of God, while he was instilling fear in the people of God, David got up and said, does this uncircumcised Philistine, does, it, does he not know who he is messing with? We are the children of the living God. It is the mindset that we have to take as children of God. Do, do you not know who I am, sickness? Do you not know who I am, struggle? I am a child of the living God. Do you know... Do you know who you're messing with? I'm not just anybody, but I am bought with a price. And it's time that we tell situations in our lives. It's time that we tell bad habits. And it's time that we tell addictions. And it's time that we tell the sin and sickness. Do you know who I am? I am a child of the living God. I am bought with a price. I am not just anybody, but there is a call of God on my life. And I'm here for a purpose. I want to invite the worship team to come. We need a 2 Chronicles 7.14 moment. A 2 Chronicles 7.14 moment. The Bible says that if we humble ourselves, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, would pray, would turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So not only does he forgive us of our sin, but what is there in your life that needs to be healed? What is there in your life that needs to be healed? What is it in your life that needs healing? Because revival always starts with repentance and it's repenting of personal sins and it's declaring our corporate sin and it starts with the people of God. If my people who were called by my name, if they would humble themselves and pray. Prayer is the difference between us fighting for God and God fighting for us. That is the difference. Could we make that move together today as a people of God, as his children? Could we make that move together to seek his face and to say, God, we're going to seek you like never before. We're going to trust you. The Bible says that the people that know their God shall be strong and shall do great things. So I want to invite you this morning, make the move. Know that sometimes it doesn't take for us to leave the crowd behind, to leave to leave certain things behind and we have to know that we have to call the master but we also know that we have to make our move we have to make our move and say God I'm going to take a step I'm going to take a step and I'm going to believe you I'm going to trust you for my for my healing I'm going to trust you for my miracle I'm going to trust you for what I need right now in this moment I'm going to trust you for what I need. And in this place today, I want to pray with you and for you. But before we get there, maybe you're here today and this is your first time hearing of this, of this Jesus.
who saves and who heals and who delivers and who makes all things new. And you want to make a first-time decision today. I'm so excited that we're going to, within the next few weeks, we're going to be having a baptism Sunday again. But the first step is admitting that we are sinners, believing that he is God, and be committed to him. And if you'd like to make that decision, I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes right where you're at. And if you say, God, I'm, I'm tired of what I have, the life that I have lived, I'm tired of the frustration that I have experienced and the hurt that I'm feeling, God, I'm going to trust you. I make a decision this day to serve you and to serve you only. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand right where you're at. Let us know in the chat if you'd like to make a first-time decision this morning. He, he finds you right where you're at. It, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what your past has brought you through, He finds you right where you're at. And I want to invite everyone at the sound of my voice to pray with me. Please repeat after me. Lord, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you are Jesus, the Son of God, who died for the sins of the world. And I confess you as Lord, Savior, and King of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We thank you, Father, for everyone who's made the, that first-time commitment today. You know the circumstances and you know the situations, God, and we trust you with it. God, and also in this moment, we're grateful for your word that comes to find us, that comes to challenge us, that comes to encourage us. Father, today, we recommit to seek you more, to be passionate about you more. to make a step of faith, to take a step of faith, to stand in the gap. Father, we thank you that you are a God that sees us, that hears us, that knows exactly where we're at. Without even me having to share the details of my situation, you know. You know better than I know, God. And I pray right now that your presence would fill hearts. That your presence, God, would give us hope and would give us a new perspective. That your presence and that your spirit would strengthen us, would encourage us right now. In Jesus' name.